Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie related show on the planet at the John Gabriel Show. Coming to you from right here on my YouTube channel, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all sorts of good things. I'm joined by the crew today. Over here, we got Robert Meyer Burnett. Right beside him is the wonderful Chris Carr. We got Taylor sitting in Racy. We'll talk about that in a second. Jonathan Voico is here running the show. And of course, we got Alu Moana back here joining us again today. Hey, listen, for those of you watching live, you might notice we start like a half hour late. Today, we're at the mercy of technology. Our main capture card that captures all of our different, well, a bunch of our cameras uh, decided to not work this morning. So in, during the time that we should have been doing all of our final prep for the show today, we had to fix that. So that delayed our start by about a half hour. So for those of you watching live, thank you for your patience and uh, we will make it worth that you waited. Um, also gonna probably point out that many of you guys noticed that uh, Ray is not here today. So I will just let you guys know what I announced in the community tab yesterday. Uh, so Saturday, I had to uh, change my plans because I had to go get Ray and rush him to the hospital. And uh, then yesterday they took him in for some surgery. And the good news is surgery went well and he will make a full recovery. They are anticipating that he's going to make a full complete recovery, uh, but you're probably not going to see Ray in here for the next couple of days. And I know he appreciates all your best well wishes. And uh, again, let me emphasize that he will be okay. He will totally be fine. And as far as what went wrong with him, well, what doesn't go wrong with him? But that aside, <laughs> oh. I will wait for him to come back into the studio and I'll let him tell you. And needless to say, we have our own very, our very own King Viserys uh, on the staff now. But again, we'll let him tell the story when he gets back. All right, guys, listen, we got a whole bunch of things to cover here today. So we're just going to jump right into it with this. First off the top, you know, one of the worst kept secrets. Well, we're not even going to call it the worst kept secret. They didn't even try to keep it secret that Henry Cavill was going to be making an appearance in Black Adam. It got to the point that they were just hinting it so heavy. They just basically came right out and said it. And then, of course, you know, everybody saw it on the weekend. He's back. The Rock even announced he was going to be in it before the movie came out. So whatever, he's back. But there was still some ambiguity about what will Henry Cavill's role be moving forward? Did they just do that quick little thing in Black Adam? We heard some reports that they were planning on developing another Superman movie, but you know, none of that was really confirmed. Well, now it is confirmed because Henry Cavill got on his social media and he basically made the announcement to the world that he is indeed back as Superman. This comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter who wrote about it and they're quoting Henry Cavill where he says, I wanted to make it official I am back as Superman, Cavill said in a video. He thanked the fans. Most of all, thank you for all your support and for your patience. He added uh, that what audience saw in Black Adam is, quote unquote, a very small taste of things to come. So basically, Henry Cavill has now come out. He's set any questions aside. I'm back. I am Superman again. And my appearance in Black Adam? No, 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 no. That was just a little thing. I am back. So this, of course, Rob, gives a lot of credence to the reports that we talked about last week that Warner Brothers is very big on Henry Cavill being Superman. The new ownership at Warner Brothers, I should say, is very big on Henry Cavill's Superman, that they are planning more Superman projects and other projects for him to be involved in. Uh, listen, it's always great when you read reports, even when they're reports coming from reliable sources or not. It's a different level when it's actually the person. 
coming out and saying, just so there's no ambiguity, just so there's no question, I'm Superman and I am here again. And daddy's home. I'm very excited about that. Anyway, Rob, you hear this coming from Rob. Was this something you, do you think Cavill needed to say? Maybe he shouldn't have come right out and made it so explicit, but what do you think about his announcement? I think it, I think that this is all much further along now than we thought it might've been. Right. I mean, it's one thing to bring it back as a cameo for black Adam. That's cool. And yeah, Superman's back. I would, I would expect this is all in uh, advance of an actual announcement of a Superman movie. I agree. That's kind of what I see going on. And I don't know who, whatever, whoever's going to work on that. It's already probably a done deal. We're going to hear about it. And I would say that they're going to move into production sooner rather than later. And I think that's the way it should be done. You know, they, you capitalize on this momentum. You capitalize on the fact that, I mean, you and I have been staunch supporters of Man of Steel, which is now when did that, was that 2011? 20. <sighs> It was longer ago than I like to. Admit. And and the fact that that you know David Zaslav obviously since they took over this discovery thing has made it happen, and I think that Zaslav saying, "Look, our marquee character has been sidelined in movies that star other people since he did his last." And you know what people say? Look, it might have been a quote unquote disappointment for the current regime of the studio at the time, but Man of Steel was very respectable compared to re-releasing or re reintroducing a superhero into the zeitgeist. It still was successful. It might not have made a billion dollars, but it didn't do badly, especially compared to Superman Returns. So, and everyone loved Henry Cavill. The fact that he's been sidelined for a decade is crazy. And I think Look, aren't we all waiting to see a new Superman movie? I know I am. Oh, yeah. Well, you know my take on this. Anyway, Chris, you saw Henry Cavill's announcement. He says, I'm back. The Black Adam thing is just the start. What are your thoughts on his announcement? I mean, I just can't believe you're here. I figured you'd be running through the streets streaking. <laughs> that may or may I mean, not have happened earlier. That's, well, that's that may or may not have happened earlier. Honestly, this news, though, and it might just be because I'm on this show with y'all. I'm like, do we haven't we covered this? Isn't this confirmed already? Don't we all know this already? You're in the post credit. Like, come on. Come on. But it is nice to hear it from the actor themselves, you know, so this will be really, really exciting. Hopefully, though, this isn't a big, big buildup that's going to let us down. Right. If we're talking about power shifting in the DC universe or things like that, I just want to make sure I am I am prepared on the right level of hype for this so that I'm not expecting a world-breaking Superman film. You know, I want Henry to come in, get to have a great story that is on par with his ability and his, you know, love of this character. And I want it to just... Do well. I don't want to put too much pressure on it yet. Made my heart smile. I went to go see uh, Black Adam again this weekend. Uh, you know, while Ray, it was actually while Ray was in surgery, he's like, ah, oh, well, we got nothing we can do for the next few hours. Let's go see Black Adam. It did made my heart smile because the crowd I saw it with, they went bananas. Like when Henry walks in the smoke, everybody went crazy. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing to see. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about that? Henry Cavill's put any of the questions to rest. He is back. He is Superman again. And the Black Adam thing was just the start. Do you think maybe this was unnecessary for him to do? Do you think this is great because it puts it to rest? Hey, listen, if you're somebody like me, it just makes you happy. Anyway, guys, how do you feel about this? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys, with that down, let's do another off the top. And that is this. You know, one of the big questions moving around fan communities right now, particularly sci-fi and genre, is where's Star Wars? I mean, yeah, we've got Andor going on right now, which is the best series they've ever had. And I know that's controversial for some, but to me, Andor is even better than Mandalorian, 
It is Star Wars for grown-ups. I freaking love this show. Not quite on House of the Dragon level, but it's absolutely utter amazing. But Star Wars, its home is the big screen. Its home is the movie. Star Wars is a movie franchise. And the question has been, where are the movies? Now, they stubbed their toes a little bit. They had a box office failure in Solo, which is really too bad because Solo actually ended up being a pretty good movie, but it was a completely unnecessary movie. So that one flopped, that stubbed their toe. And then, of course, The Rise of Skywalker. Well, don't even get me started on The Rise of Skywalker. Mm -hmm. And I say that as a fan, generally as a fan of what Disney has done with Star Wars. But The Rise of Skywalker, yeah, no, no, no good, no good. So anyway, so they got a little bit trigger shy on that. And understandably, they became a little, decided to slow things down a bit. That's fine, but it's been three years and we have no official word of any new project on the books. A lot of, you know, Kevin Feige is going to do one. Okay, great. That's still theoretical. Um, you know, they say the Patty Jenkins thing is still happening. Okay. I'll believe that when I see it, they say Ryan Johnson's still working on his trilogy. I don't buy that for a second. Uh, and, and a bunch of other things. Well, now we got our first close to concrete news about a future Star Wars movie. And that is one of the co-creators of Lost, uh, the showrunner of the Watchmen series, Damon Lindelof, is doing a Star Wars movie, and they brought on, and I always mispronounce her name, but Charmaine Obage Chinoy, who was one of the directors of Ms. Marvel, and you guys know what I thought of Ms. Marvel. I, th I thought it was the second best thing Disney's ever put out on Disney+. Plus. I love that thing. And they've got her actually attached to direct. This comes to us from Variety, wrote the following. Damon Lindelof is going to a galaxy far, far away, or at least he's well on his way there. The co-creator of Lost and Emmy-winning executive producer of Watchmen is developing a new Star Wars movie for Lucasfilm. The top secret project has already, already has a director warming up in their hyperdrive. Oscar winner and Ms. Marvel helmer Shereem Abade Chinoy is in talks to direct. Now, of course... Damon Lindelof has got several Emmys on his on his counter. He's a little bit of a divisive figure for, for some people. I mean, he's had, there's no denying, he's, his highs are incredibly high. He's had some lows too, just like any creator in Hollywood. This to me is interesting. I, I like this. If nothing else, it actually shows me that Disney is at least keeping their eye on getting Star Wars back on the big screen. So I'm excited about that. I think what Lindelof did with Watchmen was phenomenal. Like, honestly, this is going to be a divisive thing to say. The Watchmen series kicked the living shit out of the Watchmen movie. In, in my opinion, it just beat the living shit out of that. I'm not a big fan of the Watchmen movie, to be honest with you. I didn't think it was a very good adaptation. But that being said, um, he's not my favorite writer in the world, but this is at least intriguing. Anyway, Chris, you hear about this. Lindelof trying to develop a movie. You got a, an Oscar-winning director who has worked on Miss Marvel as mm -hmm. well, directing it. How does this strike you initially? I'm excited about this team up. I'm interested to see what Rob has to say. Well, I'm really excited. I was a really big fan, not only of the I'll watch. give you a spoiler. Yep. Rob hates anybody yep. connected with any new Star Trek. <laughs> so I'm just going to... Rob and I haven't even talked about this, but I'm just going to give you a spoiler right now. But, so please continue. you know, I, I also really enjoyed The Watchmen. And the movie was just... It was so weird in that it was a frame by frame. Like, it looked like they used the comic as a storyboard, but it just didn't translate well, right? There wasn't the heart that it needed to have in there. Whereas the series took some really, really interesting swings, and I really enjoyed it. I also really loved the left. Leftovers. I thought that show was just phenomenal. I never did try The Leftovers, Ooh. but I know a lot of people who actually really quite like it. I feel like it. with your background, you would find it very, very interesting just from a theological standpoint. Now, a lot of people have told yeah, me that. Yeah, it's really, really fascinating. So I'm excited to see what kind of thing we do then within the Star Wars realm because, you know, 
we've seen what you can do when you play in the sandbox, but take things to different genres, right? So I think it'd be really, really cool to do something that is maybe a little bit more heady, maybe is something that's a bit more existential and we explore maybe religious tones or, or something of that nature. I think that could be really, really cool in this. It just depends on the execution. Something else you worked on that was considered more heady and stuff like that, that I actually wasn't a big fan of, but a lot of people did was Prometheus. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I, I may not love Prometheus. I'm, I'm not a big fan of Prometheus, but I know a lot of people. I'm sure a lot of you guys always tell me how much they love it. So there's That's that. A weird too. Movie. Anyway, Rob, you hate this. Why? <laughs> uh, OK, I don't I don't hate it. OK, although I kind of do. Damon Lindelof, if you look at his genre credits at the feature film level, Tomorrowland, Prometheus, Star Trek Into Darkness, Cowboys and Aliens. Now, of course, there were 43 writers on Cowboys and Aliens. Yes. Just, uh, and, and, Cowboys and, and there's Aliens. There's a lot of quote-unquote writers on Cowboys and Aliens. And you have a director that's done a couple episodes of TV and some Academy Award and Emmy-winning documentary shorts. But as Kevin Feige always said, like when he picked James Gunn, good storyteller's a good storyteller. I, under, I understand that. But here's the thing about Star Wars. I would love to see Star Wars have some veteran... We've seen it with Andor. Tony Gilroy... Uh, Academy Award-winning screenwriter and a great director, auteur. His brother, who's writing episodes, Dan Gilroy, a feature filmmaker, also a auteur, writer-director. Both of them, one's a showrunner. Their brother, John's editing the show. I would rather than see people that have made it in TV jump over to feature films, I'd rather see more feature filmmakers come back and work in feature films. And Lindelof to me, has a very hit and miss. Like, I am not a fan of what he did with Prometheus. In my mind, he diminished what it was. I understand why they hired him, and they brought him in late in the process to rewrite the script. I get it, but I think everything dumb about Prometheus, he added to it. And if you watch the incredible four-and-a-half-hour documentary that's on that Blu-ray set, you can see where the movie went awry. I mean, you can literally watch it happen. And I, I think Lindelof, and of course, he wrote Star Trek into darkness, which is a pretty dunderheaded, not just because it's Star Trek, but just in general, the plotting is very, it's not great. I don't, I don't. And his mystery box, he comes out of the, the, the JJ Abrams mystery box school of storytelling leftovers is really intriguing, but it's based on a novel that he didn't write. That's fair. He, you know, and I did, I thought they really stuck the landing on that show. The last episode of that show is I think deeply affecting Oh, the second season's pretty gobbledygooky. That's fair. You know, but there's a lot of li to li like in it. So he's very hit and miss, I think. And Watchmen, I didn't hate. Mm, I love hey. the Watchmen. I love the Watchmen comic. And it was a sequel to the comic. There's some really intriguing ideas in that show. And, um, and you know, he was, the, he was the creator of it. So I don't hate that. But these two people, I just wondered, do they have enough together to make a, a great Star Wars movie. I, I go back again to like what Disney's done in Marvel. And again, back to the whole Kevin Feige thing when I asked him about why did you get James Gunn to direct Guardians? He's never directed anything on this level or anything like this before. And he just straight up said, you know, because a good storyteller is a good storyteller. And when you look at two, staying with Disney for a second, again, the guys who directed Captain America Winter Soldier did episodes of what was a community? Did Community, right? And you, me, and Dupree. Which was which, a feature film. Which was a feature film that I hated. But, right. but you know, not everybody does. It's got its fans. So, like, I, at least I sit down and I look at, okay, they got somebody with, I think, three Emmys. Somebody with two Oscars. I mean, 
and I look at the stuff like, do they have hit and misses? For Absolutely. documentaries. Yeah, but whatever. Every- like somebody who knows how to sit down and tell a story. I mean, to me, that's it. And then the work she did on Ms. Marvel, I thought was fantastic. Yeah. So I see a lot to be now. Again, this could turn out to be a mess, but we've seen great movies come with much more questionable additions to who they were going to have write and direct it. That turned out to be incredibly huge fan favorites. So I, I'm excited about this. It may turn out to be a disaster. It might. There might be a smoke monster in it, though. I just think, though, that, you know, the, the, the two hour, the paradigm of making movies is different in where you have a director who is the center of the decision making. Whereas television, it's the showrunners that are. Yeah. And I would love to see, I mean, maybe we. But that makes us a good pair. I mean, yeah, it, theoretically, well, uh, that makes this a pretty good Yeah, I, I just wonder if they're ever going to actually pull the trigger on any of these projects. Well, see, that's the bigger question, right? It's like, okay, we're talking about another Star Wars movie. Where the hell is a Star Wars movie? We've talked all about, oh, Kevin Feige's movie. Oh, and he's got this writer on it. Okay, great. And Taika Waititi's doing this. Okay, great. Okay, that's fine. And, and th- I think this is good news. But I'm also to the point where I'm tired about hearing about maybe projects. It's time to actually start it, making it, it some also of this shows there's a little indecisiveness at the top. A about, little? Well, a little? I was being nice. <laughs> um, you know, you what, being restrained? Uh, yeah, I, I just think that do they know what they're going to do with Star Wars? It, it's worrisome to think as let's say I was a Disney investor. I would look at Star Wars as a as a cinematic property, even the rise of Skywalker. Other than Marvel movies, those Star Wars movies grossed a billion dollars. Yes, a lot one of money. Two, one gross one point three, one gross a little less. Those are huge money makers. Why are they? Why have they been benched? I mean, as an investor, I would ask the question. Um, I understand you can look at Solo and say that underperformed. That's one. Rogue One made a billion dollars. Why are you not making Star Wars movies? I mean, I get it. Who's like, scared? I even applaud. I even applaud the idea that hey, once you've had hiccups. Yeah. To say, okay, well, let's take our foot off the gas. Let's take a step back. Let's take a breath. I respect that. Actually, I, I applaud that. It was three years ago. Yeah. And we still have no, like, official moving. Anyway, time to move forward. Guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? I actually think this is an intriguing combination, very reminiscent of the way Kevin Feige's put some of his Marvel movies together. But it'll all depend on what you think of the track records of the individual people. So in general, what do you think about this? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below. And let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, we've got one more off the top to do, and that is this. I don't know if you heard, but this morning a trailer dropped for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. The movie has very quietly snuck up on us. It's only four months out. I believe what, What's the release date of Ant-Man Quantumania, Taylor? I think it's February 17th. I think. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. But they dropped the first trailer for it. And they didn't do... What a lot of movies will do. They didn't put out a trailer to the trailer first. They didn't release a 30-second tease or something like that. They just came right out and dropped a first trailer. And I will tell you this. I am a I'm a probably a bigger fan of Ant-Man in the MCU than most people are. Like I I adore the first Ant-Man. What Peyton Reed did with that movie is incredible. I didn't like Ant-Man 2 as much, but I still quite enjoyed it a lot. I'm a little bit nervous about Ant-Man 3 because you don't have um uh, why am I Michael Pena? You don't have Michael Pena in it this time. I'm, how do you do Ant Man without Michael Pena? What are you talking about? But so I'm a little bit nervous about that. Also, you're bringing Kang, and how is that all going to work? Well, they dropped the first trailer today, and I will say this: 
for a first trailer mm-hmm. that isn't meant to give you much, isn't meant to give you the full, like what the overall what the story is or anything. That first trailer, it's a very intriguing first trailer. I'd be lying to you if I told you I loved it. Mm. It seemed. I mean, I was kind of overwhelmed by a lot of it, which is great. And seeing Jonathan Majors in there as Kang in that line, he says, I'm paraphrased, but you help me. I'll get, I'll give you, get you back there. I'll get you more time and you help me out. What do you say? Right. I I was half expecting to hear that line of you're an Avenger. Have I killed you before? I mean, that would have been great to hear too, but that was all great. At the same time, the one thing that makes me a little bit nervous because we didn't get the story idea. And I think once we hear what the story idea is, it's going to make this first trailer seem a lot more tangible. Because to me, it was just a lot of bonkers imagery. Look how crazy this looks. Oh, now look how crazy this looks. (laughs) And I think maybe once we move into trailer two, and we get a sense of the story, then that first trailer, I think, is going to be even better. But still, it, it was fun to see. I love seeing the ageless you know, demonic witchcraft practicing Paul Rudd, who apparently doesn't know how to age a day. Uh, I love seeing him in there again. I just, I love this franchise. What can I say? So I'm excited. Rob, you had a chance to see the trailer. What did you think? I really liked it. I, first of all, I love the choice of uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Right. To, I mean, what a great, what a great piece of music to use. Um, I love the whole opening with Cassie creating, yeah, I made a, a communications device or something which I thought was terrific. And uh, now we know where the Kang's army from the Kang dynasty, the upcoming Avengers came Kang dynasty is coming from. I thought with all the alien creatures, and the universe and everything, the only thing I didn't like is her hairstyle. I don't quite understand. It's pretty, Lily. It's pretty comic accurate though. I know. Actually, it's it's comic, that's the first, it's, it's very comic accurate. Yeah. It is very which comic accurate. one of the accurate. reasons why I like them adapting things. Cause all due respect to my good Canadian kid, Evangeline Lily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that yeah. I didn't. She just looks a little matronly, which is fine. I guess, you know, it's better than the Bob. Uh, yeah, maybe. By the way, can somebody explain to me? All I know is it's a third Octoy figure I need. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. 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 You know, but can somebody tell me how Michelle Pfeiffer just continues to get more attractive. Well, her and Paul Rudd yeah. hang out of the same yeah. salon. Explain that to me. They're the ones who are just, you know, bathing in the blood of unicorns together. Yeah, yeah. apparently. But I did like all, I think like this, this whatever, when they land and all these people come up to them, the design of the, the characters and everything, I thought was very, 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 very cool. There's a lot of really interesting sci-fi concepts here that I think are and by the way, was it just me? But when you saw the army of Kang, wasn't that like really reminiscent of like Attack of the Clones? Like oh, when yeah. you see the clone army armies coming out. Still, there's a they have dropped shortly afterwards, they dropped the first poster. Okay. I like I like the trailer. Kind of a little bit bonkers for me. I'm sure it'll get better. The poster's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love this poster. That looks incredible. Anyway, Chris, you had a chance to see the trailer, the poster. Yeah. What stood out to you? Well, I mean, the poster, first of all, is just such a good nod to the comics, too, right? Yeah. Because we usually have a very blue faced with the markings Kang. And I love that it's lighting it. You know, maybe as the movie goes on, we see very, very blue Kang, but I like how this is going. It's a good interpretation. Kind of the same thing we saw with Gore, right? Of like, eh, we could make him look like the Twi'lek or we could just do this interpretation of it. Um, I'm excited about this trailer. The beginning of it seems like the fun kind of rom com romp that we usually get with Ant-Man and the Wasp. Paul Rudd is adorable and can do no wrong. He's America's sweetheart, and I love him. Um, I'm pumped about it, and I'm really excited to explore the Chronopolis more. I think that's going to be really, really cool. I'm really excited to talk to you about that more when we do Weekly Hero, because that's what I want to deep dive into, is that fun, fun time realm. Oh. 
Elu, you are apparently a fan of Ant-Man. <laughs> did you have the chance to see the trailer? What did you think about I it? I haven't yet. I'm going to have to do a live reaction so everyone can see me just spontaneously combust. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I agree about the first and second. I loved the first Ant-Man. The second was still good, not as great as the first. So the third, I'm like, okay, well, we're getting Kang in there. So we got, I think it's going to be pretty interesting. All right, guys, question is for you. What did you think about the new trailer for the first trailer for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania? Did it blow your socks off? Did it leave you wanting? Are you somewhere in the middle? Whatever you guys thought about it, jump down to the comment section below and leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys, with that all down, we're going to take a second here and thank one of the sponsors of the John Campus Show today, our friends over at True Classic. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's episode, True Classic. This brand new sponsor has the absolute best fitting t-shirts that a man can buy. Finding the right t-shirt with a little bit of a dad bod is incredibly frustrating. Most t-shirts are either way too tight on your gut or look way too big and boxy. You're not in high school anymore and it's time to upgrade. True Classic has already helped over 2 million men finally get a better fit at an affordable price. And the John Campy Show viewers and listeners get access to the best deal they offer. For a limited time only, get 25% off using the code CAMPIA at trueclassic.com. Look, you and I both know that almost all of men's t-shirts are designed to look good on skinny models with six-packs. But let's be honest, that's not most of us. True Classic tees taper off towards the bottom, but they fit tighter around the chest and shoulders. It's time to highlight your best attributes with a t-shirt that you can always confidently throw on. Like most of you guys, ever since college, I have always struggled to find proper fitting t-shirts that are comfortable. Well, True Classic, from the moment when I put on the shirt they sent me solves it. And True Classic doesn't just stop at tees. From polos and workout shirts with the same flattering fit. Upgrade your wardrobe with True Classic. Get 25% off at trueclassic.com with the promo code CAMPIA. Free shipping included on purchases over $100. 100% risk-free guarantee with a 30-day refund policy. Stay classy with True Classic. Your dad bod will thank you. And thank you to our friends at True Classic for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show. Remember, guys, when you support our sponsors, you're actually supporting us. So go down to the description of the video and right at the top, you'll see links to all of our sponsors today and the promo codes. And thank you again to True Classic. Okay, with that down, Alou, what do we got up next? Next up is our Mint Mobile Hotline question of the day. To call in and have your voice heard on the show, you're going to call and leave a message at 951-268-4259. Now, our Mint Mobile question of the day comes to us from Alan, who's asking about the possibility of a Silver Surfer movie. Hey, John, this is Alan. There's been a rumor going around about the Silver Surfer having its own special a few months before the Fantastic Four. I just want to get your thoughts on this, and do you think this means we could get Galactus or Silver Surfer as a villain of the actual Fantastic Four movie a few months later? Thanks. What are your thoughts? All right. Thanks a lot for uh, calling that in, Alan. This is interesting. Right. I mean, obviously, Silver Surfer is one of the marquee characters that was under the Fox realm. And when Disney was buying out Fox, everybody was, number one, most excited about X-Men. Then there was Fantastic Four. And then as an extension of that, Galactus, Silver Surfer and stuff like that. So a lot of people have been talking about Silver Surfer. Now, a couple of reports, not from any of the major trades, but a couple of rumors and reports started surfing that Silver Surfer that Marvel was planning on putting out a Silver Surfer project, maybe on Disney Plus, maybe a movie prior to Fantastic Four coming out. And there are some dates available for that. So I made a call of my own to, to somebody 
and they told me they have heard nothing about a silver server project. Now, let me be kind of, while still remaining ambiguous, let me try to clarify this a bit. The person I called is somebody connected that had they told me, yes, that silver server project is happening that I could, I could have come on here and guaranteed you guys. That it's absolutely hundred percent true. However, they said they haven't heard of it, which does not necessarily mean that it's not like if they said it was happening, you could take it to the bank that it was happening. Them saying they've never even heard of this. It casts some doubt on it, but it doesn't automatically mean it's not happening. So I, I just want to give that little asterisk out there too. Okay. So my contact that I talked to said they've never heard of this, but that doesn't necessarily mean it won't happen. So let's talk about it theoretically. Could the MCU be introducing a silver surfer prior to even introducing the fantastic four? It would all depend on what their story idea was, but to me, it seems like a mistake because silver surfer to me is you're talking about this immeasurable cosmic power of a character that to me feels like something you build up to a little bit uh, along with, of course, if you have silver surfer, you're most likely, although you don't have to follow the comics, but you are most likely using him as a herald of Galactus, right? Which again, to me seems like if you launch fantastic four with silver surfer and Galactus, where do you go from there? Like what, what, what do you do after that? What can be the bigger threat in the next movie? And the answer is none, unless they're going to fight Batman. <laughs> That's about the only other place you can go. So it, it seems unlikely again, a silver surfer is definitely going to be in the MCU. There is no doubt about that. Will it be before fantastic four? I have my doubts, but it is possible. Rob, you're hearing about this. Number one, do you think the rumor is true that we're going to get a Silver Surfer project prior to Fantastic Four? And then that aside, how wise do you think it would be to bring in a Silver Surfer now as opposed to later? Well, first of all, I, I don't think that we're getting a Silver Surfer project. However, I think what's happened is that because of Werewolf by Night, it's opened the floodgates. We could get an hour long, which I actually think is a pretty good idea. Introduce the character of Norrin Rad, the, the man, mm -hmm. the, the creature, the being who becomes the Silver Surfer. You could tell this really interesting origin story about a nice family man, you know, or a whatever. Sweet astronomer. A sweet astronomer. Who you just know. is in love. <laughs> I, I mean, and 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 he is kind of tragic and forced forced into a life. You know, that he didn't he that he didn't choose for himself. That could be a really interesting story, like done as an hour long werewolf by night tale esque how they did that show. And to tell this story, because a lot of people are not going to know and don't call it Silver Surfer. Call it something else. Give it some literary title like the sacrifice of Norin or so. I don't know. But but then people who know will realize when you get to the end of the story, it becomes maybe a tragic moving emotional thing and that tees up the silver surfer that then you can you don't have to spend time explaining his origin mm -hmm. because you've got this thing that you've already done i could see the marvel universe doing more of that but i don't think it's going to happen now i don't think they've got it we would know they would set something like this up they wouldn't keep it a secret i don't think Chris, you hear about this. So same two questions. Number one, do you think the rumors are true that we will get a Silver Surfer prior to Fantastic Four? And then in the theoretical side, would it be a good idea to do it now or not? I don't think we will get it before 
but I think you could do it, right? And you just do something like the Heralds of Galactus, right? The Order, the some one of those kinds of things. And you do focus on this man who has to save his home world by becoming a Herald of Galactus and by making that sacrifice, saving his own planet while also corrupting himself. Because you don't have to get to the part where he meets the Fantastic Four yet, right? right? Like Rob was saying, you can do all this backstory. And once he meets Reed and the team, right, that's when he kind of becomes this noble man again and goes, oh, I'm going to betray this intergalactic being because we already have so many intergalactic types in here. We've gone very celestial, literally, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And Silver Surfer also um, dealt with Mephisto. And we're already potentially introducing that, right? Because Mephisto wanted Norm because he's pure of heart and he like uses his love of his life against him in comic book uh, fashion, right? And is like, oh, I'm going to kill the woman you love if you don't do what I want and give you my soul, give me your soul. That's not normal behavior. Yeah, <laughs> it's totally normal behavior, right? You know when you blackmail someone for their soul? Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Tis the season. That's Tuesday. <laughs> but I think you could do a lot of fun stuff with this. I just don't know if Marvel's going to take that leap right now. All right, guys. Question is for you. You hear about this rumor going around of a Silver Surfer project. I don't think it will. I, I don't personally buy into it, but it's definitely something that is within the realm of possibility. Would it be something that you'd want to see? Obviously, we'd love to see Silver Surfer, but do you think it's a wise idea to bring it in before Fantastic Four? I don't know. What do you think is going to happen here? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and leave those thoughts there. All right, guys, with all that down, we're now going to move into our main topics here today. And how do we select our main topics in the John Campy Show? Well, that's simple. That's where you guys come in because you guys come up with our main topics. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you guys feel we must cover as a main topic on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampyshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, Alou, what is our first main topic today? All right, our first main topic of the day comes from Ojas Gadre. He says, I know that you mainly focus on just movies and not really celebrity news, but I feel as though since this relates to a movie, it may be fun to talk about. What are your thoughts on the rapper Kanye West saying that he was the one that had the idea behind Django Unchained? And do you think this will somehow affect the ownership of the film itself? Love your show. Thanks and bring on the filthy. Wild. What are the odds that the same guy who, you know, <laughs> created the Internet and Jello is also the guy who came up with the idea for Django Unchained. I'm being a little bit facetious there. Yeah, listen, Django might be my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. It, it, it's constantly going back and forth with that and Inglorious Bastards. Uh, I just love both of them. Django, you, you, me, and Ray did an issue uh, of uh, Movie Club yep. on Django Unchained. Absolutely phenomenal movie. So, so good. But here's what happened. Kanye West, who, let me be very clear, I've never met Kanye West. I don't know Kanye West. He may be the most delightful, wonderful, salt of the earth kind of guy. Might be. All, why is everybody in the studio suddenly laughing? But I'm saying he might be. I've never met him. I don't know him. But the public face he puts on seems, you know, a couple of saltines sort of short of soup. You know, it's just it, it's not all there. Not all there. And now he just did an interview where he claims that. Quentin Tarantino and Jamie Foxx stole the idea of Django Unchained from him. Uh, this comes to us from the folks 
over at IndieWire who wrote the following. <laughs> he ain't buying it. <laughs> In a new interview with Piers Morgan, uh, Kanye West complained that Tarantino's Django Unchained was based on an idea that the Oscar winner stole from West. He claimed that after collaborating with Jamie Foxx on the 2005 song Gold Digger, which featured Foxx's vocals and sampled Ray Charles's I Got a Woman, Wes said he pitched Foxx and Tarantino the idea for a slavery-themed music video for the song. West alleges that some of his ideas for that video were eventually used in Tarantino's Django Unchained. Tarantino can write a movie about slavery where actually him and Jamie, they got the idea from me. Because the idea for Django, I pitched to Jamie Foxx and Quentin Tarantino as the video for Gold Digger, Wes said. And then Tarantino turned it into a film. That comes to us again from IndieWire. There's one interesting bit here that he leaves out. So he claims Jamie Foxx kind of stole this idea. Okay. Does he not know that Jamie Foxx was not even supposed to be in Django Unchained? Originally, it was supposed to be Big Willie. Will Smith was supposed to be the star of Django Unchained. It was not Jamie Foxx's movie. It was supposed to be Will Smith. And ultimately, Will Smith decided to leave the project because Django doesn't kill Candy at the end. And so he just didn't think that was good. So he walked off the project. And then Jamie Foxx came in and did the project. So the idea that Jamie Foxx stole the idea seems like a stretch. Well, let's be honest. This whole thing sounds like a stretch. And by the way, I don't think... Kanye West is lying. Like, I, I think he probably did pitch the idea of a, a slavery-based music video. Okay, uh, sure. There are thousands of long-form and short-form stories told with that kind of a premise. So this notion that came out and just saying that, like, I, I Quentin Tarantino and Jamie Foxx stole this from me seems ridiculous. Now, to add to that, it's just as a side note to this story. Uh, of course, monster agency in Hollywood, probably the biggest agency in Hollywood, CAA. Uh, the reports came out this morning that they have dropped Kanye West. He is no longer uh, going to be represented by C CAA. I don't know if this story was the tipping point of that. I have no idea. So, hey, again, I wasn't there. I'm not a fly on the wall. I'd love to be, as Hamilton would say, in the room where it happened, but I wasn't. So maybe there's truth to this. I find it incredibly hard to believe, though. Anyway, Chris... You hear about this story. What do you think? How big of a thief is Quentin Tarantino? Oh my gosh, this is such nonsense. This is ridiculous. Like, I don't think that this has any legs at all. This man has just said some incredibly disgusting things lately, too. And it's no wonder that people are cutting ties with him. Uh, CAA, Balenciaga, supposedly his deal with Def Jam is coming to a close as well. I mean, you can say whatever you want. Everyone has the right to say whatever they want. But people don't have to like it and there's repercussions for what you say. And when you say things that are hurtful and disgusting to individuals or entire peoples, like just some of the statements this man has made lately make my skin crawl. So I, I don't think he has anything to do with Django. And I don't think that he's a particularly nice person. And that's as cooth as I can be right now. Rob, you hear about this? What do you think? Okay, I'm going to say something that might be a little controversial. Okay. I think there could be a kernel of truth in what Kanye says in the sense that they probably had a conversation about maybe, you know, a former slave turned bounty hunter or something like that. What if that was thrown out? I believe something like that could be true. But first of all, the Django movies were a long running series of films that were made in Italy. 
Boom. Now, now, yeah, by Sergio. By, and, and all different kinds of people made Django movies. And Franco Nero, who played the most famous actor in the Django role, is in Django Unchanged yep. and has a scene with Jamie Foxx. However, Tarantino is known, all of his movies are kind of a pastiche of other films. You could say Reservoir Dogs is a riff on Ringo Lamb's City on Fire, which it is, which, which, which Tarantino will tell you. Just like uh, uh, the Kill Bill films. He's referencing all of these different martial arts films and things that he liked growing up. So Tarantino is a guy that takes all of these ideas from places he gets. I mean, his films aren't just one idea or two ideas. They're like 20 ideas. Well, George takes, Lucas, he had like seven major influences uh, that made course. Star Wars. And right? when, you hear, when you hear things, you know, just because somebody throws out an idea for something, I mean, I hear all ideas all the time. That doesn't mean they went out and made it and then you stole their idea. If you're having a conversation, I have conversations with friends of mine, even you, even you, about story ideas. Like, what if they made a movie about this? What if they made a movie about that? Oh, I copyright and, all of those. I record all of these. Well, there you go. Yeah. And if you, if it, so it maybe Kanye said one thing that was like, what if a slave turned bounty hunter? And Tarantino's like, that's a good idea. I like that idea. And then maybe it percolated in his brain, but that doesn't mean you have Dr. King Schultz. Yeah. You know, that doesn't mean that you go get Franco Nero and then you go, what if it's a riff on, I love the Django movies. So you can't, I mean, when, when someone like Tarantino, whose brain is, is, is making a bunch of different things, just because one element of something is in a, a, a something that has 20,000 different ideas put into one. I mean, so maybe from his mind, he thought I came up with the idea for it, but you know what? The movie Django Unchained has about a hundred different origins, including a whole series of movies called Django this, Django that, yeah. Django something. So, and like you pointed out, Jamie Foxx wasn't even in this movie. So it's pretty <laughs> silly to think that Tarantino ripped it off. Tarantino rips off his movies. All of his movies are the product of everything he's seen for his entire life. So, I mean... It I mean, you could make the same argument that while having lunch one day in the same restaurant that Kevin Feige was, somebody says, I love it when Tom and Jerry team up. And Kevin Feige heard that went, team up? I'm going to make an Avengers movie. Well, I, that's, I just, that's, exactly, yeah. that's exactly right. And, you know, I've heard a lot of friends, like, like over the years, like we would get together, friends I have in the business. And some people would take ideas that came up in conversation and actually implement them and make something. Well, that's the difference between the people that, didn't make something in the people that did. Yeah. I've literally been part of pitches that you go, hey, the show they ended up going with seems very similar to the one we pitched. But a similarity isn't something that you can really stand on. No. It's semantics. Anyway, guys, question is for you. Are you shocked to find out that Quentin Tarantino stole the idea of Django Unchained from Kanye West? Being a little facetious. But anyway, what do you guys think about this story? Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, we're going to take a second and thank another sponsor of our show here today, the folks at Wondering and their new Rings of Power podcast. Guys, we want to take a moment and thank a sponsor of today's video, Wondery, and their new podcast, the official Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power podcast. Guys, it's time to go deeper into the canals of Numenor, the mines of Khazad-dûm, and more with the official The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power podcast. Host Felicia Day and several special guests provide an inside look at the groundbreaking series and what it took to bring Middle-earth to life. 
Each episode of the official podcast features exclusive interviews with the series showrunners J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay, including the very first full breakdown of the incredible season finale. Felicia also goes behind the scenes with the cast and crew to bring you jaw-dropping stories and Easter eggs that you won't want to miss. So watch The Rings of Power on Prime Video and listen to all eight episodes of the official The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power podcast for free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app now. And thank you to the folks at Wondery and their Rings of Power podcast for sponsoring this episode of the John Campius Show. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number two. Alou, what is our second main topic today? Main topic number two comes to us from Arnold Smith, who says... I know Black Adam is the big talking point coming out of this weekend's box office, but I feel what happened to Halloween Ends needs to be addressed. The film, after already opening to the lowest in this trilogy, suffered one of the worst second weekend drops ever, negative 80%. For comparison, Morbius in its second weekend fell negative 73.8%. Damn. What does this sort of a drop mean for the future of the franchise? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Arnold. And Well, I mean, the first thing that should be said about the future of the franchise is they've been pretty clear this was it like this is now i'm sure halloween will be rebooted at some point in the future but as far as this franchise go it's done and if you've seen the movie and seen how it ends there's really nowhere else for it to go that being said at 80 percent drop if it holds at that because the actuals remember these are all based on the sunday box office estimates that are normally really 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 on point But when the Monday actuals come out, it can fluctuate a bit. But if it stands at 80%, I believe it makes it the number 12 or number 13 worst second weekend drop-off in history for any film that opened wide. And despite the fact that this movie also came out on Peacock, it still had a wide release. And now, this could be due to a couple of reasons. But first, let's go over and hear what the folks over at Screen Rant had to say about this. They wrote the following. Halloween Ends is projected to take a tumble of about 80%, potentially even more, in its second weekend at the domestic box office. This is the worst week two drop of the trilogy's second weeks, compared to Halloween Kills drop of 71%, which was also terrible, uh, and Halloween 2018's 58% drop. While horror films are likely to experience a significant drop after their opening weekends, the same doesn't seem to be the case with the... uh, with Enza's theatrical competition, Smile, which opened on September 30th and only dropped 22% in week two, continuing to slowly float down the chart with similarly slim margins as it enters the fourth week. So as they're pointing out here, I heard some people say, well, horror movies never have a good second weekend. Well, Smile had like a record-setting second weekend. Have you looked at its worldwide box office gross? Oh, I know. It's gotten really, really good. Yeah. I mean, for such a small budget film, this movie has done bar- And I didn't even love the movie film. I liked it. I like Smile. It's a good movie. I didn't love it as much as some people did, but it's doing remarkably well, which is great to see. So you now have Halloween ends with one of the biggest second weekend drop-offs in history. Why? I want to propose three things that I think are all factors that go into it. Factor number one, it also had a Peacock release, which will mean that some people who may have gone back to the theater a second time to see it would go, okay, I saw it on the big screen. Now I can watch it on Peacock. There's no need for me to go back to the theater again. How much repeat business this movie would have had anyway is up for debate. But I think that is one factor. I think another factor is, is that 
the studio just screamed that they had no faith in this movie and the reception has not been good. I mean, from the very point when they said they were going to do a dual release on Peacock, people know, oh, well, that's a bad sign. And then they didn't release the review embargo until literally hours before the movie opened. That's also not a good sign. And then the response from the film has not been good. So that's probably another factor. A third factor is this is Halloween and Michael and Laurie, that's the character's name, right? Aren't really the main characters in this movie. It's not really their movie per se. And I think that probably had something to do with it too. Yeah. And on top of that, some of the intangibles that are part of every kind of movie, like there wasn't positive word of mouth. There was no buzz to get people to get motivated to go see it. So uh, again, you saw with Halloween ends, a 71% drop this, which is, you think is about as low as it can go. 80 is even worse. Rob, you see this number. What do you attribute this to? Well, I think you, you pretty much nailed it, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's just not that great. It's, it didn't deliver despite the fact I think day of date on Peacock really hurt it. But at the end of the day, this movie did not deliver what it promised. And that is, I wanted to see the return of the King. I wanted to see the battle of Pelennor fields between Laurie Strode and Michael Myers, you know, and at the end of the day, if Michael Myers is truly a supernatural entity, give me some phantasmagorical explosion of arcane, Go over the top. Make it crazy. I mean, why is he still a, a killer at 72 years old? However the hell old he is. He's been in an asylum. Bad habits you are hard do to what you Rob. love. I, you never work a day yeah, in your I life. It's not. But, I mean, I really, think, I really think that this movie should have embraced the horror of it all and really gone, go out, go crazy with it. Make it some Cthulhu, Lovecraftian old gods. Maybe Michael Myers is the rat, last remnant of some crazy demonic force on Earth, you know, and 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 that it, it, it literally becomes 2001 A Space Odyssey at the end where Michael and Laurie transcended the star shop. I don't know, maybe that wouldn't have worked. But, but it wasn't, I, I just don't think it was, and some people love it. By the way, I've talked to some people like, this is the greatest off-brand Halloween movie since well, Halloween that's, 3 season That's the great the thing about movies, right? That's the great thing about the yeah. art is that, that somebody can really find something in anything and, and find it to really appreciate it. I mean, I, yeah, I, I just think that ultimately it did not deliver what people wanted from it. I think they should have made it a comedy. <laughs> but what uh, happens if you know and i if I, rent is so expensive in la what if michael and laurie had a roommate together what i have to say john i feel bad because i did watch this on peacock I why would you feel bad they set you up to do that yeah they, they pretty know, much but did. that's not giving the filmmakers a fair shake but to your point though the last halloween movie the atrocious halloween ends which, which, uh, I, I was so, sorry, uh, Halloween Kills. I was so disappointed in that because I loved the first one so much. By the first one, I mean the, the first one of this franchise. I love the first one so much. But it's like they did this thing where it's like they gave this out-of-nowhere narrative. We hear the guy talking in narration. The more he kills, the more he ascends. It's like, wait, what? But Same. that could have been cool. I mean, but yeah. So, but if you're going to say, so like the more he, so if you murder enough people, you start to get superhuman abilities. Oh, okay. That's what we're doing. Well, if, but if you're, you're already gonna, a, you know. But to your point, if you're going to do that, if you're going to say that, then go with it. Lean into that. I mean, from the very first Halloween movie, John Carpenter's original in 1978, when Michael Myers has been shot off the balcony, he's lying on the ground, and then he disappears. And, and Laurie Strode says, it was the boogeyman. And Dr. Loomis says, as a matter of fact, 
It was. <laughs> okay, since 1978, there's there's the insinuation that there's something more going on here, that Dr. Loomis may have had, there you go, there's the shot, and then it cuts to that shot again, and he's gone. Lean into that, and you find out that Dr. Loomis actually knew what was up, that there was, you find out he's a paranormal, re- I mean, they've had Dr. Loomis, What he, up to, uh, when did they use him? Up to Halloween 5? I don't even, I, I mean, I'm not up to my, uh, my Halloween lore, but... Um, why not lean into that? Chris, mm-hmm. as our resident uh, horror yes. fanatic. Queen of the horror film. Queen the of horror. Spooks, that's me. Still, 80% no. drop. I, I mean, I, I don't think anybody would have saw that coming. What are your, Man, what's your take? You know what an this? 80% drop means, though? If you beat out Morbius, a wider theatrical re-release. <laughs> Come through. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, I, I would have to defer to, you know, Taylor and Lou, our actual resident horror fans here about how this film actually is. And I know Taylor was very disappointed and did a whole. So I know you're not going to see this. So let's talk about the. Ending. That should have been, that should have been <laughs> by the way, I love this still. That should have been the poster. Yeah, That's I, a great image. Yeah. I just even from my diehard horror fan friends, they have not enjoyed this film. You know, I mean, it, you you really did not like this. Yeah, I would say Halloween Ends was so disappointing that Kanye West won't even take credit for it. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Oh! How long have you been sitting on that? If they went with his original that was ending, good. <laughs> that was pretty good. All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you think about this? Halloween Ends has one of the biggest second weekend drops in cinematic history at 80%. Obviously, a lot of factors go into that. What do you think was the biggest factor? Did you see the movie? If so, what did you think? Maybe you're one of the people who actually quite enjoyed it. Whatever your thoughts are, jump down to the comments section below and leave your thoughts there. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number three. Alou. What is our third main topic today? Main topic number three comes to us from Janet, who says, You've been saying it every week, John, and yet it's true. How does House of the Dragon do it? The season finale crushed. Spectacular. This has been at least on par with maybe even better than Game of Thrones season one. Three more 10-episode seasons coming. Let the dance begin. Curious to see the ratings. Unfortunately, it did leak three days before airing. What did you guys think? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, look, I, I I have been singing the praises of House of the Dragon ever since episode one. I have been, I expected it to be good. I expected it to be good. I didn't suspect it would be this good. And as far as the question of, you know, could it even be better than Game of Thrones season one? I will say undoubtedly House of the Dragon season one is better than Game of Thrones season one. I have no doubt. I have no qualms about saying that. Now, of course... House of the Dragon has the benefit of standing on the shoulders of Game of Thrones. Yes. And it got to build on that momentum and all the groundwork that Game of Thrones laid and all that kind of stuff. So it had a distinct advantage. And I'm still not going to say House of the Dragon is a better show overall than Game of Thrones was. No. But season ones? Absolutely. I went into this episode expecting a letdown because your landing is always the hardest part. Like great setup. Even great Literally second in act. This, in terms of this episode. Yeah. Oh, Boom. the landing. Sticking the landing is always the hardest part. And while art is subjective and it will hit everybody in different ways, I will only speak from my own experience, my own, uh, my own perspective. They crushed this. I, I don't know how narratively you end something more satisfying than they did with this and leave you 
gasping. Like your last experience for me watching this episode before the screen went black was a gasp. And that's my last experience with it was. <gasps> and, you know, without going into spoilers, and of course, a little bit later today, guys, at three o'clock Los Angeles time, we will be doing our House of the Dragon open spoiler discussion. So make sure you come on back and join us for that. So in a non-spoilery way, the episode ends with a character whose back is to the camera turning to the camera and i had chills like absolute chills and no that's not a night king pun i had absolute chills when that happened and something else happens in the episode that i did not see coming at all the characters again are really showing they are the the themes of loss that rainera deals with like they talk about it in the post episode walk up to it as well you you finally see they get to it it is now the dance has begun the dance has now begun and i'll tell you just from a dramatic sense it and andor are both doing such a good job of not having tons of action and yet having me thrill riding on the edge of my seat with every scene with every line of dialogue with every character interaction with every piece of the board on this game I, I am enthralled by it. I thought they killed it in the final episode. I am drooling for season two. I know they weren't sure it was going to go over well with the audience. You know, I heard some of the executive producers talking, like going into it, they know they made a good show, but you just don't know how the audience is going to respond to it. Uh, are they going to accept this? Are they not? Is it going to be rejected? So they didn't even know if they were going to ever do a season two. They hoped they would, but now I cannot wait. Rob, you saw the season finale of house of the dragon which by the way it sucks that this show is now over but uh what did you make of the finale oh i i mean i loved it i love that they decided to to give us the the name of this episode was the black queen and i think that that everything that she has been armed with renera targaryen uh is now at a place <laughs> where she has suffered loss and she has suffered she she's all the things she needed to know to be an effective leader. And look, she's tried even at the beginning of this episode. You, you, one character says to an, I will no spoilers, but somebody that you might've thought would not be sympathetic to her points out to another character that shouldn't be sympathetic to her, that she did something surprising. Yeah. And, and which showed her wisdom and, and very much how her father's leadership style has rubbed off on her. That's over. By the end of this episode, she has been forged into a formidable force that is going to come back with the power of a nuclear bomb. I mean, I don't want to be on the receiving end of that stare. Let me tell you, because like you said, and we've watched what's really interesting is we watched two women who have both had to deal with what it's like to be in a man's world. And yet both ascend to these leadership positions. And make no mistake, Aegon has been crowned king. I get it. But this is really now the story of Alicent and Rhaenyra, as it's always been. And it's going to be really interesting to see these two women. Hell hath nor fury, let me tell you. And by the way, first of all, commendation. You didn't put a single spoiler in that. But Woo! I was giggling at first because I kept it half an eye on the live chat. And as soon as you started talking, people were writing, spoiler time. And uh, Brian E in the live chat said, Robert the spoiler, first of his name. But I want to point out, not one spoiler in you all that. Anyway, Chris... You saw the final episode. Mm -hmm. What was your impressions of the finale? You know, we were talking off camera before the show, and I don't have the same ringing endorsement as you guys. This is a great episode. Don't get me wrong. 
this doesn't feel like a finale to me. Mm. I was expecting a little more, more at the end there. And what this all has felt like to me, before I get all you raging, for me, this has felt like a prequel to the prequel. I feel like Mm. we're about to get into the story they've wanted to tell. And we had to do a whole bunch of this exposition and everything, which has been intriguing, right? It's been successions with succession with dragons. I've been saying that since episode one, but I just expected a little more oomph in this last one and that closing moment while powerful i did go that's it okay i also um i was eating ribs during this episode and boy was not that that was not the right meal was not <laughs> put my plate down and was like yeah <laughs> there's there's a scene in this episode it's very hard for me to watch. I, i'll be honest i didn't watch i i literally watched it like this I mean, that's that's just the type of thing. Any of you three back there, any of you guys watch uh, the final episode? I watched it. Taylor, what do you think about it? Uh, it was kind of a letdown. This was my first time ever making it all the way to a season finale of Game of Thrones. I was very excited for it. Uh, I wanted more. I wanted more slaughter. I wanted really? more. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's just so funny because, again, this is the beautiful thing about the art is that we all have different experiences. Because I walked away from it going, I can't imagine this being any better. I, I have to say... There was, an, again, no spoilers. There was a shot, a single shot in this movie, or in this movie, in this episode, that let's call it a size comparison shot. Yep. And I literally gasped. And it was as far as conveying something that's going to. Yeah. By the way, my, he's not talking about anything dirty. He's <laughs> not talking it, about it. I'm not bringing dirty baby. about size comparison I'm just shot. saying that there's a sequence in this, in this show, credit where credit is given. It is a stunningly designed effect sequence. And it deserved, give it the Emmy because my God, was it stunningly beautiful. It was very cinematic. I uh, Saying movie instead of TV show feels right for that scene. Unfrickin' believable. And, and I have to tell you, it was terrifying and scary and awe-inspiring all at the same time. I get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Question is for you. What did you think about the finale for House of the Dragon? Did you maybe find it a little underwhelming? You were looking for more. Did you find it incredible and everything you hoped it would be? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Once again, guys, just a quick reminder that at 3 p.m. Los Angeles time today, that's 6 p.m. New York time, we will be doing our House of the Dragon open spoiler after show. Make sure you guys come on back and talk to us then about everything that went down in that finale. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move into our fourth and final main topic today, shall we? Alu, what is our fourth main topic today? All right, our fourth main topic comes to us from Jeff Singer. Going into the weekend, film fans waited with bated breath to see what the Black Adam would do with the box office, and so far it's off to a decent start. The film opened to $67 million domestically with an overall global debut of $140 million, just a bit over the $135 million deadline had predicted. The question now is what kind of legs will this movie have before Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, takes over the world in a couple of weeks? <laughs> so, John... Let me ask you, it certainly isn't the biggest movie, comic book movie premiere right. of all time, but it's the biggest premiere box office of Dwayne Johnson's career. How significant is that? Yeah, that's not insignificant, actually, because you're right. Listen, Rob, you and I talk about this all the time, that we've become desensitized. It's stupid that we have, but we have. We've become yeah. desensitized. We think, comic book movie? Billion dollars. That doesn't happen often, okay? That is a incredible feat, and so people just kind of expect these huge opening weekend numbers this one came out 
and made $67 million, which I believe makes it the biggest opening since July, since Thor Ragnarok came out. So that's pretty impressive in and of itself. This comes to us from the folks over at Rotten Tomatoes who wrote the following. Black Adam has opened with an estimated $67 million. And that's a great number for Dwayne Johnson because it's the best number that he has put up as a top build talent. More than Hobbs and Shaw, which made $60 million opening weekend. Jumanji in the next level at $59.2 million. And San Andreas, $54.5 million. That, of course, coming to us from Rotten Tomatoes. So when you take all the films that Dwayne The Rock Johnson, it's where it's been his movie. None of the Fast and the Furious have been his movie. He's been a supporting actor in all those other than Hobbs and Shaw, which he was definitively the lead. Out of all the films that Dwayne The Rock Johnson has done in his career, it is weird to think that 67 million, which is a good number, but that that's the biggest he's ever had. When you think about The Rock franchise Viagra, box office, you know, he's just the, he's an injection of endorphins for box office, all that kind of stuff. I think it brings home a couple of points. Number one, that it's not that The Rock being in something automatically makes it a huge hit. It's that The Rock being in something means it's going to make more money than it would have without him. So I think that's the number one thing there. But being the biggest opening of any film that he's been the star of ever, that's not insignificant. That That's a pretty significant thing. So kudos to it, number one. Made good money and all that kind of stuff. Roughly made Aquaman money. And Aquaman went on after its opening weekend to make a billion dollars at the box office, right? So that's not bad either. But at the same time, I don't think we should be getting terribly excited about 67 million. I mean, it's good. It's a solid number. Could be a good start point. And the fact that a lot of the audiences are like me, where it's like, yeah, we all acknowledge it's, it's a pretty dumb movie, but it's fun. I had a really good, I went to go see it again this weekend. The parts that bothered me bothered me even more, but the parts that I liked, I got even bigger reactions out of me. It is a fun time at the movies. And that's what you want when you go to see The Rock. But again, while 67 million, some people are going to try to paint this as a disaster. It's not. It's a good number, but it's not great. So let's take a look at actually the opening weekend box office for other DCEU or not even DCU movies, but DC movies. Let's take a look at this chart that we put together. Okay, so at 67 million dollars, it means Black Adam starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson is only the 11th biggest opening of a DC film. Of course, number one was Batman versus Superman that opened 166. The Dark Knight Rises at number two with 160. The Dark Knight at number three with 158. The Batman, which is, was out with Robert Pattinson, opened at 134 million. The, uh, Suicide Squad, which is the first one, not the James Gunn one, opened with 133.6. Oh, the James Gunn one would have loved to have opened with that much money. <laughs> My favorite, of course, Man of Steel, opened at 116. Wonder Woman at number seven with 103. That does it for all the films that opened under DC at over 100 million. Then we get into Joker at number eight. 96.2. Uh, and again, I want to point this out about this Joker number. That Joker number at 60 96.2 that movie made over a billion dollars, right? Justice League opened at 93.8. Newsflash, that did not make a billion dollars. But then we get to number 10, Aquaman, making 67.8 million, really almost identical to what Black Adam did. And that movie went on to make a billion dollars. Are we saying that Black Adam is going to make a billion dollars? Hell no, we're not saying that. But we're saying opening at 67 is not the worst. Then we rounded out Watchmen, made 55.2. Shazam, uh, which I also dearly love, made 53.5 in its opening weekend. And of course, Ryan Reynolds, Green Lantern made 53.1. So the bottom line is this. This is not 
a great opening. It's not great, but it's not bad. And it's the most significant one The Rock has ever had. And even though it's not great, some other DC properties have opened around that number and still gone on to do very, very well. And so I think if you're Dwayne The Rock Johnson right now and you're DC and Warner Brothers, you're sitting back and going, okay, not as big as we were hoping it could be, but not a bad start. When you consider the mess that the DCU seems to be in, every time we're talking about the DCU, it's about one controversy or another. It's Ezra this and this and that and whatever. I think you still got to be happy with this result. Anyway, Chris, you see this result. Biggest of Dwayne The Rock Johnson's career as a lead. Mm -hmm. You saw where it's positioned with other DC openings. Yeah. How do you think Warner Brothers should feel about this result? I mean, they should feel good and they should hope that it has legs, you know, because the critic review of this has not been great. And I have to say, I have not seen this film yet. I don't get to see it till Wednesday. My friends have been in Scotland. I'm going to go see it them Wednesday. Um, but I think they should be really, really pleased with this. I don't think this is going to make Jumanji money if we're talking about Dwayne's career. I feel like this is going to kind of peter out. But for right now, I think this is a ringing endorsement that they have potential for this franchise. And maybe on the second one, we'll kind of clean up some of those things that I know weren't working for you in this. Oh, yeah. There are some things that really don't work for me <laughs> like at all. Can I just say one thing? Okay, I'm not going to give context to this. So there's a prison for this real powerful being. Mm -hmm. And in all your wisdom, on the door of the prison, you write specific instructions about how to let them out. I, what? A anyway. lot of people skip directions. Yeah, yeah that's you know? true. Not, not, you know what my favorite story about directions is? I have told this on the show before, but I'll say again. My favorite story about directions ever is a true story. There was a woman who was suing a contraceptive company because she had sex and got pregnant. And her argument, it was this. It was uh, a jelly. And so she made toast and put the jelly on the toast and ate it, thinking that will prevent her from getting pregnant. And her argument in court was, when things are happening, when you're in the mood and things are happening, you don't have time to read instructions. To which the judge <laughs> said on record, but you had time to make toast. <laughs> so that's my favorite story about reading instructions. That person has Beautiful. a baby now. Yeah. <laughs> Person is responsible for the life of a child now. Yes. Oh no. Read instructions, folks. Oh, anyway, no. Rob, you hear this re uh, th this um, uh, result that Black Adam got? Rob How would should never. they take it? Well, I think first of all, aside from Suicide Squad on that list, but Suicide Squad had a large ensemble cast. You had uh, Harley Quinn. You had Big Willie Style. Uh, Black Adam. No one knows who Black Adam is. I mean, some people do. Fans, everyone watching the show, I know we know who Black Adam is. But the audience in general, certainly the worldwide audience, Black Adam is a mystery. Uh, he's not Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Green Lantern. He's none of those people. And the fact that it opened was all credit due to Dwayne Johnson. Yes. And, and I think if Dwayne Johnson was playing a more marquee character, he would have had an even larger opening. But I Oh, yeah. If this was Dwayne Johnson playing you know, uh, Green Lantern yeah. or something like this. This You're looking at 120, 130. Uh, uh, absolutely. So I think that for a character that's essentially unknown, this is a, a good result. And it, it clearly, Dwayne Johnson's star power made it the best result of his own career. So I would say that this is, and people like Dwayne Johnson. I think this is going to have repeat viewing because it's fun. And I think it's certainly going to do well for it because, you know, even the annoying character the kid maybe when he's subtitled 
maybe it's not so annoying, you know, or whatever. It's, it's, I, I think it's going to do well. I think this bodes well. And I'll tell you something else. I think this tees up an antagonist for Superman. That might be the most important thing again, because I'd love to see him come back and fight Superman, the big red cheese. Come on. Well, I mean, and Dwayne Johnson's already come out and said publicly, I guarantee you we are making a Black Adam versus, not not necessarily that the I mean, movie I mean, will Superman be called Black out. Adam versus Superman, but he said, I absolutely guarantee you we are getting Black Adam versus Superman on that. So that's already been kind of made public. So uh, again, I think this result is good. Look, do I think, when you look at something like Venom, right? Is this going to end up like Venom, which is very similar, you know, not great on the critic response, but the audience was having a hell of a lot of fun with it. Yep. A lot of repeat viewing. Venom, of course, crossed 800 million. I don't suspect Black Adam will get 800 million, but all that all it has to make it needs to make 500 million. If they can get to 500 million at the box office, then they're in profitability stages and then everybody's happy. And I think it can get to five. I think. But I don't think this is not going to be a billion dollar movie. I don't think it's going to get $800 million. But if they can get to five, I think they'll be happy. And I, ju I do think it's interesting. You got Shazam, you know, and the, and the, and the Shazam Marvel, the Marvel family, the Shazam family coming up and bringing up the rear. So you've got a lot of potential here. I'm really excited for the next film in this series because I do consider this the second film in the Shazam family. Right. So, and then Fury of the Gods will be the third film and then whatever Superman. So we're building a nice little, little. there's a legacy being built here that I think it, it, it's underneath that billion dollar radar, but I still think it could be interesting and continue on. All right, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this? It comes out clearly number one by a mile at the box office, making $67 million at the box office. Also making it Dwayne The Rock Johnson's biggest opening of any film that he's been the hate main headliner in. But it's only like 11th when it comes to the opening of DC films. Others close to it have made over a billion dollars. What do you think about this? Should Warner Brothers be happy about this result? Sad about it? Content with it? Excited about it? Whatever you guys think, jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, we are now going to open up the Super Chats. If you guys now have a thought, theory, opinion, or question that you would like us to address now in the next half of the show, go ahead and start firing that into the Super Chats. We only leave it open for a couple of minutes, so you're going to have to get it in pretty quick. But before we go to those questions, we're going to take a second and thank the main sponsor of our show, Ryan Reynolds, and his company and my phone service provider, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank the sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month. And now for the plot twist. I'm just kidding. There isn't one. Mint Mobile just has premium wireless from 15 bucks a month. There's no trapping you into a two-year contract or opening the bill to find all these crazy fees. There's no luring you in with free subscriptions to streaming services that you'll forget to cancel and be charged full price for. With my old wireless provider, every month when I opened the bill, it was like playing roulette. I never knew how big the bill was going to be and it always seemed to get bigger. With Mint Mobile it's totally different. I know exactly how little I'm paying every month and there's never any surprises. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or a family. And at Mint Mobile, families start at just two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And guys, you get to use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. 
contracts. So transferring over couldn't be easier. So to get premium wireless from just 15 bucks a month and no unexpected plot twists, go to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. You'll make your wallet very happy at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile for sponsoring the John Campia Show. Okay, guys, we're now going to go over to the Super Chats you guys have sent in. And yes, they are closed already because you guys filled them up that fast. So, Alu, what do we got in our Super Chats? All right, let's take a look. We got Andy here. I just realized Black Adam's release date was on the same day as Kim K's birthday, October 21st. Why do you know that? And all I thought was, what a perfect day to celebrate mediocrity. Oh, oh. that's a little harsh. That's a little harsh. Come on now. Well, Are you yeah. studying law? Do you have successful businesses? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I, uh, look, I... I walked into the house the other day and Anne was on the couch watching Kardashians. And I just walked in. I'm like, why, baby? Why? You're a doctrinal student. Why are you watching this? Uh, but yeah, it is what it is. All right. What's next? Oddly enough, I know Kim K's birthday, too, for reasons that I can't talk about. Yeah, yeah. well, we could we can go into a whole thing about that, but we won't. Oh, tea, tea later. Okay. Ben Rayner with a $20 super chat. Woo! Thank you, Ben. <laughs> now that the season is over and all the positive response, before or after April official confirmation of Jon Snow and fast tracked into production or pre-production, I say before, I think they strike when the iron is hot. I, I'm not quite sure I follow exactly, Ben. Are you, are, are you asking, like, is the John Snow show officially happening or? I guess so. I'm not, I'm not really clear. Look, I have been very fascinated about continuing the story of the characters in Game of Thrones, and particularly Jon Snow. I, when they came out and said that they were developing this show, I really, really hope it actually does happen that they move forward with it because I think all the things you can do with that too, because then you can bring in some other characters as well. You can bring in his family. You can either bring, even bring in some of the, I want to see, look, I don't care. I want to see Tyrion return. I want to see Peter Dinklage in that. That is one of the best television characters of all time. And I like when, when you can come up the best catchphrase of all time, I drink and I know things. That's the best. So I certainly hope they do move forward with it. I hope it does actually happen. And I would be lining up to see it. Line up, see it. All right. And by the way, thanks again for spending in that super chat, man, for supporting us on that level. It's always greatly appreciated. So thank you so much for that, Ben. All right. What's next? A. Marcellus says, maybe Rob has more insight on this, but I'm wondering why the JSA and JLA are coexisting at the same time and where the JSA has been this whole time in the DCEU. Maybe uh, the Flash movie will explain that. Uh, you know what? Look, even after the crisis on Infinite Earths and there was one Earth created, I still had a problem with the JSA and the JLA coexisting. I don't have an answer for you. I think it's, I thought they were going to deal with some kind of a time difference like these characters were big and then they all retired i don't know apparently they're all living in a cool mansion I, I i don't know why that is i have no insight into it at all it seemed odd to me well see the thing too is like in man of steel superman was unique in the universe there were no other superpowered beings the earth was seeing something for the first time that they had never seen yes right? so how long has Dr. Fate been around? How long has Hawkman been around? By the way, they OP'd Hawkman like with great effect. I loved Hawkman in, yeah, I did uh, too. in this movie. Um, like, where have they been? And we even went into this movie asking the question, like, I wonder if they'll address where the hell this Justice Society has been this whole time and why have we never heard of it before? And they didn't. 
it's it's not really addressed. I'm sure it might come up, and you're right. It could be the Flash movie that maybe gives something to it to address a little bit. But as of right now, I don't know what the answer to that is. Nope. Where have they been this whole time? No I don't idea. know. All right, what's next? Victor5001 says, excited by the new 30-second succession tease. Why can't I pronounce succession tease? Bring on the Rebel Alliance. I'll tell you what. I got super hyped even before House of the Dragon started because they did this coming up on HBO and they played that little bit. I'm like, oh my God, this looks awesome. And at the end, when uh, Dick Lord says, do you want to talk about it? It's like, what the hell do you think that she wants? And then the look on her, on Saban's face when he asked that, it's like the ending of the last season of Succession was one of the most badass from a Dick Lord of a character. <laughs> Like one of those Dick badass, Lord. like a totally was totally Godfather. It was totally oh, a Godfather yeah. ending, right? And you realize I didn't know he was capable of a power move like that. And then having that trip, but then you're reminded he is just a Dick Lord at the end. Of the, so you, know, you want to talk about it? What happened? It's like I cannot wait. Succession, like I still think Yellowstone is the best show on TV, but Succession, a lot of people believe it's the best show on TV. And I have no arguments with believing that because it is incredible. How long until there's a Succession House of the Dragon crossover? Maybe a little time travel involved, you know, get mix and match. Vaughn and, and Rhaenerys can talk talk shop. No, it's just another, th it's thousands of years into the future of, of that world. It's That's, developed into modern age. Well, Brian Cox, what's his, his character's first name again? So, Logan. What, Logan. Logan Roy. Logan Roy develops time travel. And universe travel and yeah, ends up there. Go goes, I'll take that fucking throne. I can totally see him saying that. It's what exactly what he would do. He's going to bring media. He's going to bring media to Westeros. And billion sucks. And billion. That's right. I remember that. All right. What's next? Jai CSC says, happy Diwali to all my brothers and sisters across the globe. As chaotic and bleak things may seem, there is always a light that can drive away the darkness. Oh, that's an inspirational Yay. note for the day. Thank mm -hmm. you for that, Jai CSC. Always good to have somebody writing in positive stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that, man. All right, what's next? Andy says, looking at the opening weekends for DC films still has me asking how we live in a world where Aquaman grossed $1 billion and Batman v Superman and Justice League didn't. Hey, no Aquaman slander here. Listen, there because <laughs> there is a, a similarity between Aquaman and Black Adam, which was... Look, was Aquaman going to win any Pulitzer Prizes? No. But it was fun. Yep. It was a fun movie, man. Even the stupid octopus hitting the drum. That's fun. That canonical, bruh. Come on. It's how can it? Listen, Black Adam has that same thing. It, it's all about, number one with Black Adam is also the season it came out. It came out around Christmas time. There's a lot of money to be made around Christmas time. You can have great legs. But it's just that fun factor that the audience gets attached to. They spread the word around. Friends come out to see it as well. And that was a little bit, Aquaman was more critically well-received than Black Adam was. But still, it's got that same kind of fun factor. That's why I believe it can, I'm not saying it will, but I believe it can cross that $500 million mark. Because I think, listen, I've already gone back to see it. I, I think several people probably saw it several times this weekend. And I bet a lot of people who saw it are going to go back next weekend to see it. Now, they better hope it does, because once Black Panther 2 comes out, that's going to suck up all the box office <laughs> dollars. But yeah, it's all about legs, man. Word of mouth and legs. I think you're exactly right, though. As much as, I mean, we've we've talked about we like Batman v Superman, but it is so portentous. It's so, it's not fun. You've got Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman 
and it's so oppressive. It's so dark. And you, you always point out, she with you? No, I thought she was with you or whatever. Is she with you? I thought she was with you. That's the one moment of like levity in this whole movie. And it's Scooby-Doo like, was in that movie. And, <laughs> and, and, and I do think that there, look, a, as much as we take our comic book movies seriously, when you've got Doomsday and you've got these three characters, you've got to add an element of pop fantasy to it all it can't be so like oh my god please have the sun come out soon because it's really dark and depressing that's where he gets his powers uh, it, yeah and I, it's just it, and i as much as i like my serious takes on comic book characters there's still comic book characters there's still got to be an element of fun somewhere to be had anywhere to be had and the end of that movie as much as it should be fun it's not fun yeah i mean look and, and you're talking to a couple people who actually i i quite like batman versus Superman. i do too but you're absolutely right it is it's bleak and even the the big extended edition thing they did it's it's a it's a slightly better version still just as bleak no man if you're yeah. eight years old that movie you're not going to come out of it and go mom that was kick ass yeah whereas, <laughs> then you fast forward to like say wonder woman the wonder woman standalone movie right you had Little girls all over the globe now wanted to rush out and dress up like Wonder Woman because it had that it had that balance, right? Like the great World War One stuff, but it also had that balance. So yeah, a little bit to it. All right. What's next? Elizabeth Gerardo. The new trailer for 1899 looks bonkers and I'm already confused. Elizabeth, I watched that trailer this morning from the makers of Dark. It's about you give me a ship at sea that finds another ship at sea where something really bad that has to do with space and time and monsters and cults and whatever, everything I wanted right in that trailer. I can't wait. It looks like they spent a hundred million dollars on it on every episode. You and me both, we should all watch it together. So just again, to confirm, this is not connected to the Yellowstone series, no. right? Okay. So I'm no. not sure about that. And it looks awesome. I already want to get that tattoo mm -hmm. on my ass. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I don't, and now I have no desire to. Is there to. room with all those Muppet babies? <laughs> <laughs> See, if you watch The there's, Office, there's this would be great. It's a circle and a triangle. It's all it is. It's nothing. There's multiple Muppet babies? Yeah. Are they going in any direction? It's just the whole like opening <laughs> number. There's only one direction. <laughs> all right. What's next before I say what I had in my mind? Let's go. <laughs> King Ricardo says, okay, John, you got what you wanted with Jackman and Cavill. Now I need to get what I want. Krasinski back as Reed and a Hellboy 3, pretty please. Yeah, Hellboy 3 ain't ever going to happen. Um, well, it did with David Harbour. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that was a new Hellboy, not a Hellboy 3. Um, yeah, look, I really like the Hellboy movies, but the, the facts are the facts. They didn't make a lot of money. And Guillermo del Toro I mean, was acknowledged because reports came out that when New Line, uh, not New Line, uh, Legendary, I think it was, and del Toro started talking about the possibility of a Hellboy 3, Guillermo del Toro wanted a $200 million budget right. for Hellboy 3. And he's acknowledged it, by the way. That, that wasn't just a fake thing. He acknowledged it. That movie cannot break even. A $200 million Hellboy movie will not break even. Just look at the box office results of the other one. So it's never going to happen, unfortunately. Um, and so Guillermo del Toro's moved on. He's got some awesome looking stuff coming down the pipe. So that all looks good. As far as what was the other one? Oh, yeah. Uh, John Krasinski is Reed Richards. Listen, again, to me, if, if John Krasinski is Reed Richards, great. Because he's a great actor and he'll do great. But at the same time, 
There's a lot of other actors who would also do great as Reed Richards. And just want to remind everybody, everybody hated Heath Ledger's casting as Joker. Everybody hated Hugh Jackman's casting as Wolverine. We base our fan casting based on what we think the movie version of the character is going to be like, but we just don't know. So, hey, if it's Reed Richards or if it's John Krasinski, great. I'll be happy. But name any other good, talented actor. I'll be just as happy and believe that they're getting the right person for the role. But we'll see. We'll see. I still, I do think there is a chance. After that whole Emily Blunt thing the other day, I still I, look, think there's I a chance. I do too, dude. All right, what's next? J-Master says Kanye West claims he's also God or Jesus that he can walk on water. I don't believe him at all about Django Unchained. He has said so many things and turn out to be false. Can he I can't. say my Kanye joke I've been holding in? Oh, it, by all means. <laughs> okay. No, I was just going to say his idea of what happened on set that day of the Gold Digger video is probably a very different version than what actually happened. But I will say that uh, Quentin Tarantino probably did have him as the inspiration for Samuel L. Jackson's character in this film, so in the film of Django. So that's probably as far as his contribution to the film. I, I would think Samuel L. Jackson was your inspiration for the Samuel L. Jackson character thing, because that was a very Samuel L. Jackson sort of character. I want to see the walk on water Kanye West challenge. <laughs> that could be good. Jesus. All right, what's next? All right, we got Sam Fisher, who says, rest in peace, Leslie Jordan. Yes, that's You were just yeah. talking about this. Mm -hmm. Leslie Jordan, who's probably best known for his role as Beverly on Will & Grace, Karen's nemesis, super, super funny guy, super sweet, used to hang out with my Uncle Mike. Um, so I'm very, very sad about this. I believe it was a, was it a car crash that happened? Yeah, yeah so very yeah. sudden, because he was only 67. So sad, sad stuff. All right, what's next? Jay says, oh, do we have two parts for this one? Oh, I've got oh, the yeah, second part, part for you. Okay, with the way Black Panther 2 is ending, Phase 4, and Ant-Man starting Phase 5, and the things we hear about Guardians of the Galaxy 3, it looks like the MCU is going to be taking us on, on an emotional ride till Kang Dynasty. What are your thoughts on this direction, if this is the case? There we go. Hi, hi. <laughs> yeah, I, look, until we see, we don't know what the direction is. I mean, we got to actually see the movies. And by the way, I know I always got to, I sound like a broken record player, ignore the phases the phases are just arbitrary made up things that kind of give us a sense of time periods but they don't really mean anything so like one movie ending phase, like the official final film i believe of phase three was spider-man far from home far from home right that didn't really mean anything it's just oh, that's the end of it oh okay i suppose that's the end so not really a lot to take in there but until we see Quantum Mania, and until we see Guardians of the Galaxy 3, and until we see that, I, I don't really have any idea. We can say, what, what do you think about the direction? Well, we don't know what the direction is right now. I don't know. How would you answer that? I, no, I agree with you. I mean, look, if Kang is on the move, obviously the Kang Dynasty storyline is a lot of fun. In the comics, I really, I recently reread it, and it's, it's action-packed and amazing. I really had a lot of fun. I love that they're leading up to that. But to like, do the Celestials know about Kang? And do they know about the quantum realm? And, you know, I don't know. Because if they did, you could birth celestials in the quantum realm, couldn't you? Maybe? I don't know. I just hope that we're getting a more cohesive storyline, if that's what they're going to do. Because it looks to me like what they're kicking off with Quantumania has some pretty profound repercussions. And I don't want to then see Marvels when no one's paying any attention to any of that. I, I want them, if you're going to give me phases, I want to see the phases leading up to something. All right, what's next? 
Okay, we got Al Renshaw. You think Haley Steinfeld's recent tweet about it's finally happening is referencing Hawkeye season two or more like Bumblebee two? I want Bumblebee two. I I don't follow celebrities' tweets. <laughs> so I have, I have. So if Haley Steinfeld gets out and says it's finally happening, I don't know. Maybe she's gonna have her first MMA fight. Maybe I have I have no idea what it means. She's doing a single with uh, Taylor Swift, dude. Probably has nothing. By the way, I just made that up. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> Probably has nothing to do with Hawkins. Finally, it's happening. People haven't been waiting for uh, for years for a Hawkeye too. Uh, also, I don't think she'd be talking about Bumblebee. She already did a Bumblebee. So it's probably something brand new. But again, I didn't Truer even see Truer grit with the Coens. Truer grit. She was <laughs> great in that, by the way. She was great in that. All right, what's next? Andy says, I watched The Midnight Club, and there's an orderly at the Brightcliff Hospice who looks like Rob. And to add to it, he's also got a dulcet voice. What can I say? You know, Mike Flanagan and I go way back. Have any of you guys watched watched this show? By the way, have, has anybody watched this? No. no. Neither have I. Yeah, which is strange because like he's got such a reputation now and such a repertoire. But that he's he's doing great. And you know, I actually watched the first just yesterday, the first episode of Midnight Club. It, you know. Okay, so you have seen a bit of it. Yeah. A and uh, it looks good. I mean, I really like his work. All right. I haven't seen any of it so far. All right. What's next? Logan Landis says, saw Black Adam opening night, walked out about two-thirds through, found it painfully bad. First Ooh. movie I've ever left early. And listen, here's oh, the thing about the movies and the art. Like, it's it's all subjective. We, we've talked about that. Everything hits us in different ways. It's also, we're all different in the ways that the weaknesses of it may hit you in such a way that it's unimportant and the strengths really shine. For some people, it might be the opposite. Like for me, the fun aspects of the movie is what really carried it for me and what made me ultimately at the end of the day have a really good time watching it. But if you're the type of person that the big problems in this movie, they may hit you more pronounced in a way than other people, right? So, and I could totally see, listen, I could totally see somebody coming out of Black Adam and saying, that is the most fun I've had in a movie theater all year. At the same time, I can totally see the person walking out the door behind them going, that was the worst movie I've seen all year. That's the nature of Black Adam. It, it, it can be really, I can see the reaction to both. I do wish they had did, done a better job with the script. I really wish they had done a better job with the script. They only had 15 years. So I, I wish they had done a better job there. Anyway, so I had a good time at it, but I could totally understand why you didn't, my friend. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. All right, what's next? Sidhu says... Tarantino to Kanye. If you were the inventors of Facebook, you'd have invented Facebook. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's it. If you had the idea for Django, you would have made Django. And as far as Jamie Foxx stealing the idea, he wasn't even supposed to be in the movie. So uh, it's, just, it's just another crazy story that surrounding Kanye West. All right, what's next? I didn't know that about Will Smith, though. That's really cool. He was originally. That he created Facebook? No. <laughs> <laughs> Seconds from Disaster says the rings floating around Kang in the Ant-Man trailer made me feel even more that the ten rings were Kangs left from the last multiversal war. I see. I don't know that I believe that. I think because what did we compare it to before? I think there's a connection to the Eternals. Uh, I also think there it's there's a connection to Ms. Marvel. Now, I, by the way, let me be clear. Don't go, John Campia says. No, no, no. I, I, this is just me theorizing and speculating. I think there's a, a deeper but singular universal connection to it. Whether that's true or not, maybe. But your theory about it being connected to Kang and maybe a, another universal or multiversal war, that's actually not a bad theory. Not the one I subscribe to, but you could be right about that. All right, what's next? 
Sam Fisher says, Chris and Rob, did you watch Doctor Who last night? I loved both 13's last line and 14's first line. They were respectively perfect. What? Uh, <laughs> what? What? Uh, uh, you know what? We wa- we both saw the we same watched, thing. We watched the clip. We watched the transformation. Yeah. We watched the 13th Doctor become the 11th Doctor? 11th? Well, the 10th. 10th? 10th? And then, the, yeah. That would be the t- right. The 10th. Yeah. Because Eccleston's 9, back, right? Yeah. Eccleston's 9. Yeah, David 10's 10. Mm-hmm. The 13th Doctor. But they've doctor. also messed with that number because of the War Doctor and then other. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But we neither of us got to watch the actual episode. I no. was at a House of the Dragon viewing party, so I didn't get to watch Doctor Who last night. No, I just, I didn't, by the way, I didn't know what I was seeing when I, I thought it was like mm-hmm. a trailer for last mm-hmm. night's episode. I didn't realize I was watching the actual climax of the episode. Yeah. I'm like, what? Come on, man. I, I didn't know what I was seeing. Man, Twitter's a nightmare when you haven't seen something. Like, I just went to open my notifications and I got so many things for House of the Dragon spoiled. I saw that clip. Where I was like, oh, a tri- Oh. Well, it's funny because Elizabeth is very, online. she's a casual Doctor Who watcher, but she loves David Tennant. She flipped out. She goes, oh my God, mm-hmm. is that real? Yeah. And I'm like, yes, it's real, baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's my All doctor. right. What's next? Mm-hmm. It's Zante says, with a $20 super chat. Oh, thank you, man. If you wanted more slaughter in the House of the Dragon season finale, then you haven't been watching this show. Well, I mean, okay, look, there's an argument to be made, though, right? That just because it hasn't been there yet, there is a feeling that it has been building up to that, right? So, look, like for me, I'm the type of person that the finale hit me in such a way that I felt completely satisfied with it. I was like, this was thrilling and exciting and all that kind of stuff. But... If you're one of those people who was kind of expecting and and kind of looking forward to some massive bloodletting to happen at the end, well, both Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones gives you precedent for that, and House of the Dragon feels like it's kind of been building up to that a little bit. So while I found it a perfect ending, I totally get where some people would be like, oh, wait a minute, that's the final scene? We Wait, what? I, I totally get that. And... I would propose that watching this season would make you feel that way because it did kind of have that feeling for it. Anyway, that's just my thought on it. All right, what's next? Stubble McShave says, I looked up Eve Best, queen that never was. Not surprised to learn that she won a whole bunch of theater awards. That You pointed this out before, Chris, is that, or I think it was you or Aaron or both of you, that when you look at the House of the Dragon cast, oh, Aaron, it's not made up of a bunch of celebrities from other things. These are actors, actors. These are classically trained theater, top of their craft kind of performers, which is, you know, I I wish more animated movies would take that approach. Let's get the real trained people to do this. I wish more movies and TV shows would take that because the result has been nothing but staggeringly glorious. That's how you can get away with those scenes, too, where it's just everything being told in a look. Yes. You don't get that from somebody who doesn't have that that training and that gravitas and that understanding of their character and their emotional depth. Yep. All right. What's next? Raymond Verada says, following the Netflix sports docs such as The Last Dance, The Redeemed Team, and the upcoming Black Mamba series, Apple is coming out with Underrated, a film on Steph Curry produced by A24 and Ryan Coogler. Ooh. I'm not going to pretend I'm interested. <laughs> uh, I mean, Steph Curry is... And it pains me to say this. It pains me to say this because my all-time favorite basketball player is Larry Bird. It, it's just, that's, that's, he's the one I, when I was a child and I started watching basketball, like he was it. And that's why I loved in winning time 
with the way they introduce, do you remember this? The way they introduced Larry Bird? Oh, I do. It's just the character walking down the hallway, camera from behind, then it comes up in him, the frame freezes. And instead of saying his name, like it did for all the other characters, like, oh, this is so-and-so, this is Michael Cooper, this is whatever. <laughs> camera comes up in Larry Bird, frame freeze, and it says, and with these boom sounds, with every word you hear the boom, 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 you know my fucking name. <laughs> and it's Larry Bird. I All-time favorite. I still think the greatest basketball player of all time. That said, come on, dude. Only a Canadian could say that. <laughs> what does Larry Bird have to do with Canada? He's, isn't he from Indiana? He's from Indiana. You, I'm saying you. only a Canadian would say that Larry Bird's the greatest basketball player of all time. Talk to anybody who lives in Boston. Michael Jordan. I mean, obviously. MJ. Obviously. <laughs> but Larry Bird, I'm, one of the best NBA stories of all time is Larry Bird walking into the dressing room at the NBA All-Star game when they were doing the three-point competition, back when the three-point competition meant something. And Larry Bird walked into the dressing room, said, okay, you fuckers, which one of you is playing for second place? Because that was Larry Bird. And he always backed it up. You want to see one of the best YouTube videos of all time? Watch the ones like Charles Barkley and all those people telling the best Larry Bird story. That's true, yeah, yeah. About how my favorite one, though, is he was playing Charles Barkley's team, and Barkley was taking a break. He was on the bench. And they had somebody come off the bench and they had some white kid guarding Larry Bird. And the way Charles Barkley tells this story is iconic. But Charles Barkley talks about Larry Bird sees who we have covering him and Larry Bird runs over to their bench and says, you have the white kid covering me? <laughs> like, like, like this was the ultimate form of disrespect. The way, but I can't tell the way Charles Barkley tells it because it was so freaking funny. Anyway. Where were we talking about? So I can go on about the old <laughs> Celtics. So here's the thing, though. Steph Curry, as a big as a big Larry Bird fan, Steph Curry is the best shooter in NBA history. There's never been anybody who can shoot it's the ball true. like him. He is the ultimate sharpshooter. Like, I've never seen anybody. I mean, the only guy that's ever been close is Larry Bird. But Steph Curry is a better pure shooter. Larry Bird was a better defender and he's all that kind yeah. of stuff. But as a pure shooter, we have never seen the likes of Steph Curry. And I don't know that we ever will. Like it, it, he's crazy, crazy good. He's like, like I'm watching him play and it doesn't matter where he is on the court. It does not matter when Steph Curry throws the ball up, your money better be on the fact that it's going to go in. It doesn't matter where he should. It's like, it's like a video game. Yeah. His, when stats, that dude's are, his stats are impressive. Oh, it's just insane. Anyway. All right. What's next? Christopher Brickner says a new Star Wars film announced, so we'll hear nothing for three years and have it quietly canceled. <laughs> I don't trust Lucasfilm's leadership to get it made. Listen, there's a very, very important thing to be pointed out here, okay? Pay attention to this, because this isn't just semantics. There's a big difference. No new Star Wars movie was announced. A trade got their information through sources, and they reported it. This was not announced. I see this happen all the time. And I think we all fall victim to this now and again. But it's like a, a, a trade gets information and they report it. And it's probably 100% true. But that was not the studio announcing it. The studio did not announce this. This, is, this got broke without the studio's permission of it coming out. Again, this is a trade, got their inside sources. They got the information. They verified their information. They report it. So it's probably 100% true. But again, it's not announced. So I don't hold any studio, even Lucasfilm, responsible for not following through on things that they don't actually announce. Because any studio can have like three dozen things kind of in development mm -hmm. and seeing what they can make come together and work. 
and 90% of them never make it to the screen. It gets frustrating when they do make an announcement, like the Patty Jenkins Rogue Squadron movie that they did announce. That yeah. was a hundred percent announced. They even shot an announcement video. I that mean, we saw they made it as official with visual as effects be. in it. Yeah, but but let's be clear: this Damon Lindelof thing is not an official announcement because Lucasfilm hasn't said a word about it yet. But I hope it happens. We'll see. All right, what's next? Jay Master says, breaking news, actor Leslie Jordan has sadly passed away at the age of 60. Yeah, we discussed that a little bit earlier, Jay Master. Thanks for, for putting that in. And it's really sad news to hear. All right, what's next? Tom Wijenberg says, best film I saw at Film Fest Ghent in Belgium, Klondike, about the MH17 Ukraine plane disaster, transcendent. Worst film, The Sun, just terrible. I have obviously not heard of any of those because I was not at the Ghent Film Festival in Belgium, but I'm jealous that you got to be there. The Sun is the movie that Hugh Jackman stars in. Yes. That's the really? that's part of the trilogy of the the father with Anthony Hopkins. Mm -hmm. And then the new film by that director is The Sun. Oh, I did not know about yeah. that. I don't know about the, the Does Ukrainian the trilogy end with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I think probably. Okay. I just uh, I know, know. I'm genuinely on water. <laughs> Um, but no, the, and I, it ends I, with Kanye walking on water. <laughs> All right. I don't know about that. I want to see that plane disaster, though. All right. What's next? Is. Matt Sanders with a uh, $20 super chat. Thank you, Matt. Well, guys, after two and a half years, COVID finally got me. Aww. Just wanted to thank you for the show and wish Ray a quick recovery. Aww. I know Ray will will be happy to hear that. And again, and Ray, again, it is expected that he will make a, a full recovery. Not a hundred percent out of the woods yet, but but it's all looking good. He was joking with us on our on our ongoing. Oh, he was high stream. as fuck. He was hilarious. I was though. in this hotel. I mean, his hotel. I keep saying hotel. I was in his uh, <laughs> hospital room. Me and Ann were in this hospital room, and and like. I shouldn't be telling you this, but I will. <laughs> Watching him trying to hit on the nurse was hilarious. <laughs> um, really cute Filipino nurse. I know, stereotypical Filipino nurse. Um, but he was in great mood. But yeah, they also had him hopped up on some pretty heavy pain meds. So he was a yeah. He was he was feeling good yesterday. He was feeling probably not feeling as good today, but he was feeling pretty good yesterday. <laughs> All right, what's next? Richard22Z says, my DCEU ranking from least to fave. Justice League, Wonder Woman 84, Suicide Squad, Birds of Prey, uh, The Suicide Squad, Shazam, Aquaman, Black Adam, Wonder Woman, Man of Steel, Justice, oh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, Batman v Superman. Unpopular list, I'm sure, but I like almost all of these. Well, that's the thing. No, nobody's list is going to look exactly the same. Yeah. Right? I mean, so, I mean, I would put the original theatrical justice league a little bit higher not tremendously higher i would obviously have man of steel at the top of the list that that's easily I, to me it is easily the best film dc's done at least out of the dceu but that's the beauty of these lists right all they're like they're like snowflakes everyone is unique every list is unique and different and and it just kind of reflects the way you as an individual receive those movies and i think that's great thanks for sharing all right what's next Jasmine Jones says, 14 years ago today, October 24th, 2008, High School Musical 3, senior year, came out in theaters, <laughs> and the franchise is still beloved and going on strong today. Yeah. Look. We're all in this together. <laughs> That's great. We're, we're, wow. <laughs> Demonetized. Oh, I, <laughs> uh, I, as you say, there, I love the subjectivity of art. And there's a lot of things. Like somebody wrote in and said they walked out of Black Adam. I, I, I had a good time with Biken, but I get it. I get it. There are some things I don't get. I don't get people watching the Kardashians. I don't get country music. 
and I don't get High School Musical. <laughs> and that's fine. I don't need to get it. That's fine. I just don't, I just watch a bit of it. I don't understand how anybody can like this, but I'm sure a lot of people look at some of the stuff that I like and think the same thing. And that's the but beauty the of the art. wildcats are everywhere. Wave your hands up in the air. Is that a line from It my is. School? It's their chat. Everywhere. Do you know the dance? I worked for Disney, homie. What? Yeah. I, I had to do it. Oh, my gosh. It was, got, yeah. it was a dark gonna, time. We got dance after this. Uh, all I know is that like, Zac Efron got us started in there. Uh, uh, the, who's the Filipino girl that was in that? Olivia her? Rodrigo. She's on the Teenage No, no uh, I'm thinking of the, um, the other oh, one. Oh. Uh, Big star. Um, Vanessa Hudgens. Vanessa Hudgens. Oh, yeah, Vanessa yes. Hudgens. Well, I'm just old. Olivia Rodrigo's in the TV show version. There you go. Yeah. I'm old. Grease was my high school musical. Grease is the word. I mean, beauty school dropout. No that's graduation like, yeah, like day for you. My <laughs> sisters. Had a trouble in tinting class. My <laughs> sisters love that movie. Because <laughs> it's great. I, I, yeah, they, that's the only reason so I, I know it all is my sisters would always have it on. A hickey oh, from Canadian is like a Hallmark too. card. When you <laughs> care, to send the, care enough to send the very best. <laughs> all right, what's next? Grease was the blueprint. Oh, shoot. I ran out of dank nugs, says NASA recently confirmed what I've always suspected. Even Mars has more flow than Kanye West. Oh, oh the Kanye burns. Oh, no. Keep him coming. You know, it's unfortunate because he is a very talented lyricist. I mean, look, there's there's no doubting. You, yeah. you can't look at his success and, and like try to paint it in oh, any other just, way. He other just than stumbled one of the, into that. Yeah, as one of the greatest most successful musical careers ever. I mean, it's it's absolutely. I, I mean, I love the story that Jamie Foxx tells about how he wound up on the record with Kanye West, how he had a party at his house. I shouldn't, I can't do it justice, but if if you hear him tell the story about how he wound up on this record, it's pretty fun. It's a fun story. I'm glad you decided not to tell it because the way you set it up, it, you won't know this reference, but it almost sounded like it was the setup to Michael Scott trying to tell the Dave Chappelle story it's uh, like yeah yep. no no just no no no, no, no the chris rock the chris rock trying to do the chris rock impersonation yeah no. i love jamie fox telling his stories about the business mm-hmm. i could watch him tell I, I wish he would do jamie fox's story time because i just and I'd the, watch the, that. him this, and kevin smith should go on tour this together in, the way he tells stories in particular and th- that particular story is good and i think he he did it on some talk show and it's great all right what's next Dialdar says, I need new underwear after the Ant-Man trailer. Can I borrow Ray's? He won't need them for a while anyway. Oh. <laughs> oh. Or you could go to Me Undies and get the most comfortable. <laughs> I'm wearing them right now. Go to Me Undies and get the most comfortable pair of underwear everywhere. Just use that promo code Campia. Thank you to Me Undies for being a sponsor. All right, what's next? Yeah, I feel like that's going to be my problem too when I see the trailer. Anywho, uh, Vixter5001 says, Rob, did you see Doctor Who? A new era begins. Saw some of it. The next episode being filmed, which was very exciting. Saw some uh, of the next episode. Being we uh, we cheated, and I watched the. I didn't know it at the time when I actually watched what I was watching. When I realized what it was, I I I continued to see the end, not knowing what I would see. So I've not seen the episode yet. Just, just what do you call it? I, the regeneration. Yeah, we saw that. That's all. All right, guys. And with that down, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campy Show. Thank you so much for being here and making the show part of your day on this Monday. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in the Super Chats, number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did. Guys, if you'd like to help out the channel, do all the little things. Make sure you click the thumbs up button on the video. Leave a comment down below. Subscribe to the channel. It helps get our videos out to even more people. All right. 
So for everybody in the room, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett, the wonderful Chris Carr, back there sitting in racy today, Taylor, our producer, Jonathan Voico, and of course, Alou Moana. Thank you so much, Alou. And thank you to all of you guys. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.